0: Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a
1: family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, www.restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoyed the message. I love you guys. All right. Man, oh man, I'm really glad to be with you this morning. Uh, So what we're gonna do is we're gonna actually kind of finish up our Advent series today. Next Sunday, Christmas party. Following Sunday, Christmas day, nothing here in the morning. Following Sunday, January 1st, nothing here in the morning. So we're going to finish up our Advent series this morning. Uh, We are pausing our series through Matthew to focus in on Advent. And if you're wondering, what's Advent? Advent is the season, like the weeks leading up to Christmas. Uh, Do you guys remember what Advent means? Yes, well done. The coming, right? The coming of the Christ. The coming of the Messiah, the promised (laughs) Savior. It's what we celebrate for Christmas, right? It's a time when Christians do three things. It's a time, time when Christians celebrate, when they reflect, and when they look ahead, okay? Celebrate the greatest gift that's ever been given, and that's what? Jesus the greatest gift that's ever been given. We celebrate that. We give ourselves over to that. That's why we're doing a Christmas party. It's a time when Christians reflect, right? On the beautiful reality that our Messiah, our promised Savior has come into the world. Why? To redeem, to save, to heal. It's also a time when Christians look ahead to the second Advent, the second coming, when Jesus returns to right every single wrong when, when sin and Satan and death will be no more and all of creation will be the way that God intended to be. Two weeks ago, we kicked off our Advent series. Here's some review for you. We talked about the gift of faith, how it's like a seed. It's like a flame. If you, if you don't protect it and you neglect it, it's, it's not going to turn out well. Last week, we talked about uh, Advent from Mary's perspective, So the coming of Jesus through his mother Mary's perspective. Now, this morning is kind of, it's going to be like a part two to last Sunday's message because we're going to kind of, we're going to look at Advent from Joseph's perspective. Who was Joseph? Joseph was uh, Jesus' stepdad, okay? Really quickly, uh, stepdads in the room, there are several of you, I just want to take a moment. Those of you that are uh, fathering non biological kids, what an incredibly noble assignment. (laughs) Jeff. (laughs) It's a bio dad. But hear me, like stepdads in the room. What an incredibly noble assignment. What an incredibly godly assignment. Like, I was thinking about this week, I'm like, I don't know if I could think of a more honorable task. So before we get going, I just felt like it was necessary, because I feel like God highlights people sometimes. Those of you stepdads, uh, even some of you that I can see aren't in the room, that you're going to be listening in later, I just want to take a moment and honor you. And what you're doing is honorable work. The story of Christmas, it tells us that our Heavenly Father delights in giving Stepfathers. That means stepdads are a gift, okay? It's a rule. I know it's filled with really unique challenges. It can, be, it can be hard, but what a gift you men are to your households, to your families, and especially to your children. Okay, this morning, uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter one. We're going we're to touch on Advent from Joseph's perspective, Jesus' stepdad, okay? While you're flipping there, I'm going to pray. Um, will you join me? Father, thank you for your goodness to us, for your grace, for your mercy, for your kindness, and for your seemingly unending patience. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, help us see Jesus more clearly this morning, help us see the kingdom of heaven more clearly this morning, help us to understand more about how you operate and what you're up to, not just in general, but with us as individuals, us as a church family, us as a people in this place, in this time. The Holy Spirit asks you to fill me, the spirit of Jesus. My desire is, I don't want to get in the way of anything that you want to do through your word. And so would you help me to serve and love the way that Jesus would? Serve and love these amazing and precious, wonderful people. Thank you that you love us, Jesus. And thank you that nothing changes that. We love you. We're gathered in your name and we pray these things in your name and all God's people said, amen. All right, so for this message, we're gonna kind of dive in on these four dreams that you're gonna see. Joseph has four dreams and these four dreams can actually teach us quite a bit. Uh, And so what I wanna do is I'm gonna read here starting in verse uh, 18, okay? I got a lot of scripture to cover, so bear with me. But as we go through these four dreams, I want you to kind of keep an eye out for them. So when they pop up, Turn your listening ears on, okay? So, Matthew chapter 18, or sorry, chapter one, starting in verse 18. It says this. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been, had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce divorce her secretly. Verse 20. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, underlined in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That name Jesus, it means God saves, Yahweh saves. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Here's a prophecy. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. That's why we sung that song this morning. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up from that dream, he did as the, Lord, as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. All right, I want to pause here for a second. So what I want to do is I kind of want to just recap this because I want you to get the picture. It's really, really important, okay? So you have Joseph, right? He's engaged to be married to Mary, all right? So, those of you guys that have gone through an engagement season and maybe even gotten married afterwards, hopefully, you know that's a really exciting time. It's kind of like you're like anxious, but you're excited, and there's planning, and there's like dreaming, and there's all these different things. Now, I read you guys a quote from a theologian last week that I want to revisit this week because I want us to contextualize what this season of life would have been like for this specific couple. That whole engagement season, very different than like modern day America. Okay, let me read you this quote. If you guys could throw that quote up there for me. Thanks, Sam. Uh, This should sound familiar if you were here last week, but get the picture here. This engagement time, this betrothal time. says this, quote, In Jewish practice, girls were usually engaged at the age of 12 or 13 and married at the end of a one-year betrothal period. The betrothal, arranged by the parents, was a more, listen to this, was a more binding legal arrangement than a modern engagement. Only death or divorce could sever the contract. And the couple could be referred to as husband and wife. So they're not married yet, but they're still referred to as husband and wife. It's that serious. If her betrothed husband died, the girl would be considered a widow. The couple did not live together or have sexual relations during the betrothal period. During that year, the girl was to prove her faithfulness and purity, and the boy was to prepare a home for his bride-to-be. When the year was up, there was a seven-day wedding feast. I love the way they would party. Eric talked about this. Like, dude, the Jewish people knew how to celebrate and give themselves over to God's goodness and actually enjoying it. So they had a week-long party for the wedding feast, right? After which the couple began their life together as husband and wife. Only then was the marriage consummated, end quote. Okay, so I want you to picture this in that context, right? In this engagement betrothal season, right? Your boy Joe, he finds out that his girl is pregnant and it's not his baby. Think about that for a second. I I don't want us to like cruise through this. I want us to like personalize and humanize the scriptures. I think it's important, okay? Okay. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Fellas in the room, how would you react? Like, what would you do? It says that Joseph made a decision, right? It said he decided, quote, he decided to divorce her quietly because he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. Listen. Listen. There's some profound integrity at work here, okay? I would like to think that I would reply like and respond with like grace and humility and patience and integrity like that. I don't think I would. I'm just being candid with you, okay? All right, and then Joseph has a dream. Dream number one, did you catch it? Dream number one, right? The angel shows up and what's he say? He goes, Joseph, don't be afraid to what? to marry Mary, okay? And he goes, you know that baby? That baby, is, it's not what you think, Joseph. That baby's been conceived by God. That baby is the Messiah. That baby is the Christ. That baby's the promised Savior that the Jewish people have been waiting a really, really long time for. That baby... Name that baby Jesus because God saves his people from his sins. Okay, quick question for you guys. How many of you, like how much do you think this, this what happened here with Joseph, how much of it do you think aligned with Joseph's five-year plan? (laughs) Like obviously not at all, right? This is the season when like Joseph's gonna be trying to find a place to live. He's gonna be like securing all the, like getting his family settled. He's gonna, he's gonna like try to grow the carpentry business. He's gonna save up some money, right? Like how many of you know, God has a way of interrupting our plans, huh? I think, um, man, oh man, I feel like I look back on my life, guys, in the last, since I've been a Christian, I don't know, 20-ish years, God has interrupted my plans so many times. I think maybe the most profound one, in 2012, we literally had just uh, had Amelia, our eldest, and we were in the process of relocating from this valley to LA uh, for a, a new ministry assignment. I had been, I had been in, in full-time uh, vocational ministry for about six years at, at the time, and we had this plan that was unfolding that was seemingly like exciting and cool. We were gonna move to LA, And uh, like I said, a new ministry assignment, and I'll keep it short, but many of you guys know the story, God interrupted our plans, and he gave us a different assignment, and that assignment was to move to San Diego, no job, (laughs) no money, no nothing, to help plant what would become uh, the very first restored church. And I remember that season, I remember him giving us, legitimately giving us so much trust and faith and certainty that what he was doing was actually like him giving us guidance and direction. But it was crazy, because like I said, there was no job. It wasn't like we're, we're relocating and we're just going to take less money. It was like, no, 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 it was like, it was, it was, if you think of like missionary work, it was, it was literally missionary work. And you might think like, oh, cool, What what a... What a, what, a, what a difficult uh, assignment to be sent to San Diego, California, where the weather is, you know, Anchorman, right? It's the same thing every day. Um, as wonderful as San Diego is, it's a broken place. But I remember, we, no job, no money, no guarantee of anything. Like, here's the crazy part. Like, we didn't know anyone. It wasn't like we're relocating with, like, our gospel community to, like, plant a church, like, the healthy way. It wasn't like we had these long, like, like a lot of history with our, with our crew, with the team. Like little to no security with a newborn. Sometimes God interrupts our plans. And listen, it was a fan, like it really worked, it turned out great. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we watched, we watched God do so much, not just in our lives, but in other people's lives. All the church plants, you guys know the story of our family of churches. God's been very kind. But here's the thing like, God interrupting our plans, it's not always pretty. It's not always the way that it was in that situation. What happens when God's plans don't align with your plans? Here's one that's been hitting me a lot recently. Multiple relationships. Cancer. That's not part of my plan. How about this one? Like losing the job or losing the business. Not part of my plan. Oh, and this one gets me, like losing a loved one. That's not part of my plan. (laughs) 2020 and 2021 and all that, COVID, like not part of my plan. Listen, can we just like rewind? I know no one wants to go back. Can we just rewind for a second of how crazy that was? Like, okay, so our church, we're two years in as a church plant we have so much momentum in that season. Like, and if you know anything about church planting, it's like almost all momentum. Like, if you don't have momentum, the fact that any church exists for more than a week is a miracle, let alone a church plant. Why? Because Satan's real. Your flesh is strong. Like, there's all these things that are trying to destroy God's bride, okay? And we're in this season, two years in, we're very, like, the church is fragile, guys, just so you know. Not like... Our church, the church. It really is. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, slamming God by any means. I'm not throwing shade at God. No, God is the keeper, the author, perfecter of our faith. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm saying that we have agency, okay? Now, listen. We're in this season, so much momentum, COVID hits, and everything grinds to a halt. Dude, I can't even tell you this. You guys know. We've talked about this a bit. The stress, the uncertainty, the struggle, the frustration, the, all the things. Not part of my plan, man. What happens when God's plans don't align with your plans? I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that the angel says to Joseph, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid of what? Bethlehem's a small town, right? Bethlehem's a small town. That means everybody kind of knows everybody. Look, there's Joseph. There's the fornicator Joseph. That baby came from somewhere, right? Small town scandal. The social ridicule. And if you're one of those guys that are guys or gals That you feel like I'm tougher, like, you know, I don't really care what people think about me. Yes, you do. You care about what certain people think of me. And the angel's saying, don't be afraid. Um, Fear's a pretty deep concept in the Bible. I would argue it's 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 actually kind of a beautiful concept in the Bible. I want you to think of fear like a, like a weight on a scale. Like, you know, an old school scale where you put weight on one end and on the other and they can either balance out or one is heavier than the other. I want you to think of fear like a weight on a scale, okay? Whatever weighs more, it tips the scale. So, so the more weight, the greater the influence on you. And hear me, like fears, it's not always a negative thing. Uh, horror films and different things like, you know, kind of culture has kind of conditioned us to think of fear as almost exclusively negative. It, it's, it's really not. I want to I give you an example here. Let's use like the fear of health, right? It's not always a negative thing, man. The fear of health, it can drive you to actually care for your body, right? Some of you guys with the six packs in the room, you know what I'm talking about. Like, it can help you to care for your body, to eat right? to exercise, to prioritize your sleep. Like, those are wonderful, important, good things. I don't know if you know this, God's given you you your body and he's entrusted you as a steward over it. It's wonderful, right? Healthy fear of your health. But I want you to see that all fear, it influences behavior. Hear me. Fear is like weight on a scale. The more weight, fear, the greater the influence Um, the book of Proverbs, wisdom literature in the scriptures, right? It's centered on this concept of wisdom. What does it look like to live a wise life? I think we all could use more wisdom. I know I can. But the Proverbs, you could kind of be summed up. As, it's, this phrase happens throughout the book of Proverbs and it says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's attaching wisdom to wisdom Fear of God. Weight on the scale. Are you tracking with me? Fear is like weight on a scale. The more weight, the greater the influence. Here's the thing. Problems start to arise when other things weigh more than God. And we've all, we've all seen this in our lives, right? When things weigh more than God on that scale doesn't mean he has zero weight, but when things weigh more than God on that scale, the Bible calls that idolatry. So let me give you an example with that same fear of health piece, okay? So having a healthy weight on that fear element in your life, it can help, it can drive you to do really good things for your body, okay? But if that weight becomes, I don't know, if it weighs more if your fear of health is is greater than your fear of God, things start to get funky, right? You start showing the world just how healthy your body is, right? The clothes that you wear, the clothes that you don't wear. That gym turns into like a photo studio. You've been there. It's like, how do I make my butt look real nice? Like, how do I show off my six-pack? Like, selfie city, like... Hear me, problems arise when other things weigh more than God, you with me? But friends, hear me out. Wisdom, right? I want you to understand something about wisdom and I wanna read it because I don't wanna misspeak. Listen, wisdom isn't the result of eliminating all other fears in your life. It's not living that fearless life, okay? What wisdom is, it's the result of rightly ordered fears. That's one that you might want to write down. Wisdom's the result of rightly ordered fears. You see, when God weighs more, what happens? He has the most influence in your life. And the result of that is wise living. Make sense? Great. So, in the case of Joseph... In the case of what's happening here, right? The angel's telling him, don't be afraid of what? He's talking about, he's saying, don't be afraid of man. Don't be afraid of what others are gonna think. Don't be afraid of what this will do to your reputation, Joseph. In other words, don't let man weigh more than God on the scale of your life. Friends, hear me. This is an important point that we see here in Joseph's story. Fear of man, it will keep you from God's purposes for your life. Some of you, so much purpose on your life, so much of God's grace and mercy on your life, and it's the fear of man that's keeping you from walking into it. It's the fear of man that's actually keeping you from deeper intimacy with God, what you were created for. Hear me. Fear of man will keep you from God's purposes for your life. And I love, I mean, we're not not here to celebrate Joseph. We're here to celebrate Jesus, but we can learn some things here. Joseph, he makes a choice in this moment, this first dream, right? And what is it? It's to fear God more than fearing man. How do we know that? Look back at verse 24. It says this, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. God had more weight on the scale of Joseph's life. Therefore, God had the most influence on his life. And how did that play out? Through his actions, through his behavior. Question for you, pastorally, let's not just keep this about Joseph, let's let's try to apply this to our life. In this season, what has the most weight on the scale of your life? This is a deep question, man. You want to dig deep? What has the most weight? Here's how you'll know. Just check out your behavior. And not just check out the what, but and start to investigate the why. Fear of man will keep you from God's purposes for your life. All right, let's keep rolling. Let's pick back up in uh, Matthew 2, verse 1. after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea Judea is a region Bethlehem is a city in the days of King Herod everybody say King Herod. King Herod so after he's born in the days of King Herod wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying where is he who has been born King of the Jews underline King of the Jews for we saw his star at its rising and have kept and have come to worship him Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Really quickly, for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of summarize what happens next, right? So these wise men, right, they, uh, they follow the star. You guys know about the star. They follow the star, and where does it lead them to? To baby Jesus, Right? They follow the star. It leads them to baby Jesus. What do they do? They fall on their knees. They worship him. They present him with gifts. Let's do some Bible trivia. Does anyone remember what those three gifts were? The things that we remember. Like gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Yeah, so they give him these gifts. They fall on their knees. They're worshiping him. And then what happens in the scripture is God warns these wise men, coincidentally enough, in a dream, not to go back to King Herod. So what happens is they return to their own country. They don't go back to King Herod. Let's pick up here in verse 13 of chapter two. After they were gone, the they is the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Here's dream number two, saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. Why would Herod want to kill the child? Verse 14, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, that's Joseph, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death. So that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. And that is this, out of Egypt I called my son. Again, just to kind of for time's sake, I want to paraphrase what happens next. What happens next is that King Herod, he gives orders to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem two years or younger. What a guy. Dream number two. Did you catch him? God speaks to Joseph through the dream. He says, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. Now, listen, God instructs Joseph to do two really uncomfortable things here, okay? I want you to keep something in mind. Again, personalize this. This is a brand new family. Dad, mom, baby, right? Stepdad, mom, baby. Brand new family. So typically, this is going to be a time of, like, nesting... Right. You're going to paint the nursery. You're going to get the crib ready. You're going to do all these things. That nursery, you're going to dial it in. You're going to take time off of work. You're going to be trying to work on that sleep training so you can actually get some sleep. Cassie Logue, where you at? I see you, girl. The Lord sees you. In that season, God doesn't say to Joseph, all right, go ahead and settle down. In fact, he says, I want you to flee, and I want you to live unsettled. And then I want you to wait. Wait is a four-letter word. Like, in our culture, we hate to wait. That'll preach. We hate to wait. Like, we hate to wait, man. Listen, there's all sorts of, like, theories behind this. I have a theory. I believe that we hate to wait because we don't see the purpose in it. So God says, live unsettled and wait. Why? To protect them. Think about that. To protect them. Um... I have a theory, that's just what it is, it's a theory. I'm gonna share it with you because I think God might be in it a little bit, if not a lot of bit. My theory is this, uh, this idea of living unsettled and waiting. My theory is that God used COVID to do something similar with his church. Live unsettled and wait, why? Protection, uh, friends. Over the last, uh, the past, I don't know, at least two decades. The church, especially in the West, and I don't, don't want to throw shade. There's really wonderful things that the church has done in the West, but there's also some really um, unwise things. But in the last couple decades, the church, especially in the West, has has been in significant danger. What do I mean? I mean that the church has been in danger because their focus, and this is so easy for us to slip into. Can I just clean personal? We're in the suburbs of Southern California. Okay? But the church in the West, the focus over the last several decades has kind of has kind of become entertainment and, and and consumerism and comfort. Do you want to know what all three of those things have in common? Entertainment, consumerism, comfort. All three of those put man at the center of the church instead of God. And hear me, man. When man has more weight on the scales of life than God does, the church is in danger. The church is in danger of what? Great question. Of idolatry. We just talked about this. Of disordered fears. Friends, do you know what idolatry leads to if repentance doesn't take place? Like, you know what repentance is? Repentance is, I'm walking this way, it's sinful, I'm rejecting or rebelling God, I'm not doing things this way. Repentance is a changing of the mind and turning the other way. So repentance is more than acknowledgement Repentance is more than just I'm sorry. Repentance is I'm stopping. Does this make sense? Guys, do you know what idolatry leads to if repentance doesn't take place? Forget about my words. Let's look at Jesus' words. Uh, In Revelation chapter three, Jesus, he's writing a letter to different churches and he writes a letter to the church in Laodicea, okay? Ancient city. Jesus says this, Heavy words, brace yourself. Revelation chapter three, starting in verse 15, Jesus says this to these Christians, to the church in Laodicea. He says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not not be exposed An ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. God actually rebukes and disciplines those he loves. So be zealous and what? Repent. Verse 20, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Friends, Jesus likens unrepentant idolatry to lukewarmness. And hear me. The lukewarm church in the West has been in danger of drifting more and more into idolatry, disordered fears. And hear me. Unrepentant idolatry, it leads to being vomited out of Jesus' mouth. His words. Live unsettled and wait. Why? For your protection. I personally, this is my personal belief, it's a theory, okay? I believe God used COVID to protect his church from drifting more and more and more into lukewarmness that ultimately leads to what? (sighs) And Here's the thing, guys, like all the data that's coming back, it says that the church, especially in the West, has shrunk fairly significantly numerically since 2020. All right? Like we've seen that in our church. Uh, So many different colleagues, different pastors, not just around the state or around the nation, but around the world, The, 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 the data point that seems to be consistent across the board, which is really kind of shocking, because usually you'd have higher numbers here, lower numbers here. But the data number that seems to be consistent across the board is one third is no longer there. That's what happened with us. A third of our church is not here since COVID. They've, they've gone. Some to move, some to different things. I, I'm not saying that it's all a total departure from Jesus. But what I am saying is that this is true across the board. But here's my point. Even though the church in the West has gotten sm- smaller it's also gotten stronger. Why? Because the lukewarmness isn't as lukewarm. It gets hotter sometimes, hear me, sometimes God will unsettle you and he will make you wait, why? In order to protect you, in order to protect your soul. All right, let's keep moving. Verse 19 in chapter two. Herod's about to die. Well, he just died. Okay, so that's set the this stage. Verse 19, after King Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream, dream number three, to Joseph in Egypt. So Joseph's in Egypt with Mary and baby Jesus. He, fl- he fled, right? Dream number three, the Lord appears to him in a dream. Verse 20 saying this, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel, okay? Dream number three, the waiting is over. Hip, hip, hooray. No one likes to wait. This is great. The waiting is over. Go back to Israel. Okay, I want to keep reading because dream three and dream four are connected. Verse 22 but when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Archelaus, King Herod's son, now he's the king. Now he's ruling over Judea, right? Dad wanted to, did not want this new king of the Jews to be born. So Joseph's like afraid to go back to where you came from because Archelaus is now ruling over Jerusalem. And then being warned in a dream, here's dream number four, he Joseph withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Okay, second time in our passage that it refers to Joseph's fear. Okay, and it said he was afraid to go back. He was afraid. Oh, that's a word. Some of you. Ew. I I can't spend too much time there. You're afraid to go back and that's where God's leading you, okay? You're afraid to go back. Will you guys show the birth of Jesus slide for me? Okay, so I don't know if you can really see it. It's kind of small. I'm I'm notorious for the tiny slides, aren't I? Um, So here's Bethlehem in Judea. Judea is a region, Bethlehem's a city, right? Jesus is born here. And then what's the dream? Flee to Egypt because King Herod's trying to kill Jesus. So they flee down to Egypt. This is really far, okay? This is really far. They're in Jesus. And then the final dream go back to Judea, go back to Israel, and make your way to Galilee, Nazareth, right? Nazareth's in Galilee, so a region just north of Judea. Here's the thing for them to go from Egypt all the way up to, to Nazareth, what do they have to go through? They got to go through the danger zone, man. It's like Top Gun. It's the highway. That was good. It's the highway to the danger zone, man. Like you got to pass through the danger zone of Judea. So Joseph knows that. Like we don't pick that up right away when we read it. Joseph knows he's like, that's unsafe, Lord. Archelaus is King Herod's son. He's going to take us out. We hate to wait, right? You know what we love? We love to be safe. We orient our lives around safety. Like I would go as far as to say, some of us worship safety. We ascribe the most worth in life to safety. But hear me, since when? Since when has the Christian life ever been safe? You could call it a lot of things. But no one reading the scriptures ever goes, oh, that's safe. <laughs> Friends, if you're looking to Christianity to help promote a safe and comfortable lifestyle, just hear me. In all humility, like you're setting yourself up for massive disappointment. Massive disappointment. I think that's partially why we saw such an exodus from the church in 2020 and 2021. I digress. Man, Christianity is not safe. Following, following Jesus is not safe, man. Just let me, like, like in love, can we just talk candidly? Jesus is worth your entire life. He's worth it all. It's not safe, though. Following Jesus is about dying to self. It's about serving and loving God and other sinful people. How? in the same way that God has loved you and served you. It's costly, man. The Christian life, following in the way of Jesus, obeying God, trusting him, that's what faith is, is trust, acting in trust, right? It's costly. It's costly, but hear me, you will always gain more than what it costs you. You will always gain more than what it costs you. Sometimes God's way can be scary. What do I mean? Uh, I wanna use three examples here. The first one is confessing sin. Sometimes God's ways can be scary. Scripture's clear, man, confess your sin. Get it out of the darkness into the light so that you can receive freedom and forgiveness and grace and mercy and healing, deep inner healing. Sometimes God's ways can be scary. Confessing sin and taking responsibility for it can be scary. Why? What if people lose respect for me, man? What if they find out that I'm a sinner? Like, what if they lose respect for me? What if they view me differently? What if they reject me? Sometimes God's way can be scary, but... With God's way, you will always gain more than what it costs you. What about repentance? Right, turning away, We just I just did that silly maneuver. Turning away from sin, like actually stopping it. God's ways, sometimes they can be scary, man. Repentance can be scary, why? Because it will always cost you something. Look at the picture, like I'm giving something up in order to grab a hold of something else. I'm leaving one kingdom behind in favor of another. Uh, I have a friend, I asked them if I could uh, talk about this, but I have a friend, uh, successful business owner, and uh, it's really been cool to watch them because they've, they've been in this season where they're just inviting God into every area of their life. Search me, O oh Lord. Reveal anything unclean to me. I want to surrender my entire life to the lordship of Jesus. Like, they're living as a Christian. It's awesome. It's exciting. And I'm watching this person do that. It's really, really good. And so in the process of them doing this, God actually spoke to them. He actually, like, engaged as a father in heaven to guide them, right? And God highlighted something in their, in their life, specifically in their business. God highlighted to them that they were using pirated software in their business that they were stealing. Here's the thing. It's not like buying Photoshop for a couple hundred bucks. The software's $35,000. Like, we'll just find a replacement. Here's the catch. One, they don't have the money to purchase the software. Two, not using the software, it jeopardizes their entire business. Talk about a fork in the road, what do you do? Here's the thing, my friend, they don't know what's gonna happen, but they've made a decision. They've made a decision that following Jesus is worth more. Repentance. Friends, sometimes God's way, it can be scary, But with God's way, you will will always gain more than what it costs you. One more for you. Generosity. Sometimes God's way can be scary. If you allow God to be the Lord over your finances, it can be really scary, okay? Because he he will tell you to do radical things, like give it away. People who are already uncomfortable don't like when the church talks about money. The church, on paper, ought to be the most radically generous people in the world. God will, if, if you allow him to be the Lord of your wallet, whew, he, will, he will invite you to do radical things, like give it away. Just to be candid with you, my family, we have been on the receiving end of five-figure <clears throat> financial gifts multiple times in our life. And you know What? we've also been on the receiving end of God saying, give that five-figure gift away. But God, like, I'm a minister on a fixed budget. Like, you have any idea how long it, it takes to save up? Like, friends, sometimes God's way can be scary, but hear me. With God's way, you will always gain more than what it costs you. You want to know why? Let's look at Joseph's story. Here's why. Will you guys throw up that, uh, that map one more time? I want you to see it. Here's why. Because sometimes it's the scary route that leads to salvation. Sometimes it's the scary route that actually leads to freedom. That's what salvation is. Jesus refers to this as the narrow way. The narrow way. Let me read you some more of Jesus' words. Matthew chapter seven, verse 13 and 14. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, "Enter, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction and there are many who go through it. Verse 14, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Friends, hear me. I don't want to diminish the courage required to live this way. Like, it takes courage to go the narrow way. But hear me. Courage is not the absence of fear. I love Tim Keller. Oh, he talks about courage. This is what he says. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing despite the fear. And sometimes it's the scary route that leads to salvation. All right. I want to recap these four dreams. These four dreams. With each of these dream, each of these four dreams, God's doing something with Joseph. With each of these four dreams, God is positioning Joseph in order to fulfill God's promises. Okay? The promise to to send the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the promised one, right? The promise that that that, that Christ, that Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. The promise that, that that Messiah would be called out of Egypt. The promise that that Messiah would be called a Nazarene, that they would be raised and they would be from Nazareth. Listen, God always keeps his promises. That's the cliche Advent preach, right? It's the cliche Christmas Advent message. God always keeps his promises. But hear me. Joseph's dreams, the way that God speaks to him, engages with him, they tell us, even when we don't understand, even when we can't see the big picture, that God's faithful to keep his promises. It doesn't always happen in our timing. It doesn't always happen in our way. I would say it rarely happens in our timing and it rarely happens in our way, but it doesn't change the fact. He's faithful to keep his promises. So I want you to see God's positioning with each dream. He's positioning Joseph in order to fulfill God's promises. And the next thing I want you to see is that God gives Joseph, he only gives Joseph his next step. The first dream isn't like, here's what the next 10 years is going to look like. One step at a time, right? Step number one, dream number one, don't divorce Mary. Marry Mary, Mary. <laughs> and then name that baby Jesus. That's it. Okay, what do I do? Like, my town's going to reject me? Like, this is going to be really intense. Really unsettling. And then the second one, you thought that was unsettling, Joseph? Flee to Egypt and wait. Okay, what do I do when I get there? Crickets. (laughs) Then the third dream comes. All right, waiting's over. Go back to Israel. Okay, Lord, but like, it's the danger zone, man. Like, this is unsafe. Fourth dream. Joseph, I want you to make your way through that danger zone to Nazareth. Hear me. Listen, you might not see the entire picture right now in your life, but the day is coming when you will. You will see the entire picture. You will look back and hear me. You will be in awe you will be in awe of the masterful creativity, power, glory of God. His faithfulness, his wisdom, and his power. But as for now, the journey requires rightly ordered fears. It requires faith. All right. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to call the band up. Um, If you're on the prayer team this morning, would you make your way to the side of the room for us, please? We're doing great on time. You guys still with me? Great. Great. All right, so I know I mentioned that this is kind of like a part two from last week. It is, and I'll get to that in just a second because it will make sense. Last week, we talked about Mary. You remember? Advent from Mary's perspective. We were in Luke this week, Joseph's perspective, and Matthew. Right? Mary's perspective. It was this, this, this reality. God invited Mary to deliver Jesus to the world. Right? And we talked about how God invites us to do the same thing. Right? And we talked about how it said that Mary was favored. You guys remember this? Mary was favored. And that word favor is the Greek word Charis. Which means grace used 154 times in the New Testament. The vast majority of times, it's translated grace. So God's grace was on Mary's life to give birth to the Messiah. I don't even know, you know this, but like a virgin birth is ridiculed socially. They don't know it was a virgin birth, but what uh, I should say like a, 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 a pregnancy out of wedlock, right? Just the social, and the pain of childbirth. But it said she was favored. It said there was God's grace on her life. Sometimes grace is painful. We talked about this last week. Just because it's painful doesn't mean it's not grace. This week, Joseph's perspective, the stepdad. Another invitation. God invited Joseph to live with the fear of God instead of the fear of man and the fear of, fill in the blank. He invited Joseph to have rightly ordered fears. He invited Joseph to live with wisdom and with courage. And I would argue that he invites us to do the same thing. Sometimes it's the scary route that leads to salvation, is it not? So here's the thing, Mary and Joseph have something in common. I don't know if you caught what it was, but Mary and Joseph both said yes to God's invitation. They could have said no. They could have been like, pass. I got a lot going on. They said yes. So, I don't know, it makes me so tender. Like, if I could have anything on my tombstone, it would be like he said yes to God. That's it. I want my life to be a life that's marked by saying yes to my maker, the lover of my soul. They both said yes to God's invitation. Do you know what he was inviting them to? It was an invitation to participate in an invasion. How do we know it was an invasion? Because the king at the time freaked out. Herod started murdering all the little baby boys in Bethlehem. Why? Because one of them was born king of the Jews. A rival kingdom with a rival king just rolled into town. That's an invasion. Friends, that's what that's what Christmas is. The Advent Christmas it's a, It's an invasion story, man. Like, the true king, the true king, the king of heaven, invading the earth. Friends, make no mistake, the king's agenda is to invade, man. To invade your schedule to invade your job, to invade your wallet, your city, your neighborhood, your household, your marriage, your parenting. His agenda is to invade you. And not just to invade, but to overthrow a new king on the throne, a new way. But man, there's no other king like Jesus, huh? There's no other king like Jesus. There's never been another king like Jesus. Jesus is the one who, like, he gives up the riches of heaven for the sake of us, for the sake of the sinner, for the sake of those who behave like enemies. Name one other king in the history of the world that has treated his enemies with so much grace and mercy and love and forgiveness as Jesus. Every other king goes, You're an enemy? Off with your head. You know what Jesus says? You're an enemy, off with mine. Why? To purchase you, to atone for your sin. Because the wages of sin is death, friends. There's no other king like him. King Jesus overthrows with grace and mercy and faithful love that endures no matter what. It's what he's like. First advent, the king comes. It's an invasion, and he comes to save. He comes to live the perfect life that you and I could never live in our place as our substitute, and he doesn't stop there. He Not only does he live the perfect life in our place, but then he goes and dies the death that you and I deserve, again, in our place as our substitute. So he gives us forgiveness. He washes us clean. Every sin, past, present, future, to anybody who would receive that forgiveness, Instead of reject it and rebel it, rebel against it, and he gives us, he justifies us. That means he clothes us in his perfection. That means we get his report card; he takes ours. The great exchange. There's no other king like Jesus. The first advent, the king came to save. The second advent is different. The second advent. The king will return to judge. To those who are clothed in his righteousness, to those that say, you are my king, Jesus. Come with me into paradise. Here's the thing, guys. The king will return to judge. And you and I, we won't be judged on our merit, man. We're not gonna be judged on like our good works. I'm not as bad as him or I'm not as bad as her. No, he's not gonna judge us on our merit. He's not gonna judge us on our works. He's gonna judge us on whether Jesus is our king. Lord, not just savior, but Lord. Whether or not we have rightly ordered fears, whether on that scale, he's the weightiest one. Whether or not God weighs more than anything else in our lives, I was praying for us this morning. He was like, oh, this is a heavy one, Lord. But I felt like, again, it's his heart and his desire is to save. His heart and his desire is freedom. It's salvation, even if it's scary. And I really believe God wants to break lukewarmness off of some of us this morning. He wants to break lukewarmness off of you and replace it with a burning faith, like a really strong, robust faith that can weather the storms of, like, uncomfortable circumstances, Unsafe realities. Why? Because we have an eternity that's been purchased for us that no one can take away from us. So I was thinking about this. I'm like, what if this Christmas season, you and I, we, what if we embrace the invasion? Like, what if we put our pride aside? We actually put on humility we're like, yeah, there's areas where I'm like resisting and rejecting Jesus. And instead of turning away from it, acting like it's not there, we actually humble ourselves and go, oh man, I need grace. I need forgiveness. And then we go to the giver of grace, who's like declared it with not just his words, but his actions saying, come to me. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace and drink from the well. What if this Christmas season we embrace the invasion? The king. Friends, Sometimes God's ways can be scary. But with God's way, you will will always gain more than what it costs you. Why? Because in the end, we get him. We get him. He's the prize. He's the greatest gift that's ever been given. He's for you. Praise you, Jesus, that you're for me too. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we desire you. I pray, I I just, I get this sense that you want to wake us up this morning. Wake us up to the joy of our salvation. That's my prayer right now. Holy Spirit, in this room, every heart, restore the joy of salvation, of being set free, set free of the power of sin in our life. It no longer defines us. We can receive forgiveness and cleansing from it in a new heart, new desires, literally like your desires installed and implanted in us by your spirit. We think of the spiritual as like this ethereal thing. Like, no, it's, it's, it's like Jesus in us. It's what would he do if he was me? It's, it's this, this opportunity to engage in reality. That's the kingdom of God. Truth. And so I pray truth over the room now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would highlight things that are harming people in their life right now Uh, patterns of sin, patterns of brokenness, a lack of maybe humility, and you'd set us free. You've already purchased it. We just have to receive it. You've already already delivered the gift. We just have to open it. So I pray whether it's someone's first time or their billionth time, they would open that gift and they'd experience the freedom of Christ being in you, Jesus, intimacy, love, devotion, life the way that you designed it. That's my prayer this Christmas. Would you invade us? Would you overthrow us? Would you be a conquering king? That's who you are, the promised savior king. Save us, Jesus. Save us anew. We love you. We bless your name. Thank you for your kindness and your grace and your mercy. Amen. All right, friends, will you stand if you're able? For the next uh, 15-ish minutes, we are going to engage in a time of responding to God. There's multiple ways that you can do this. You can respond with praise, your voice, your body, your mind, your thoughts. The band's gonna lead us in this, and it's all to serve and provide an opportunity for us collectively as a church family, to engage in praising God because he's worthy, he deserves it, he's worth it. There's also trusted men and women off to the side, you'll see lanyards, they're there, they're made available to pray for you. So maybe God's stirring something up in you. Maybe he's, he's wanting to set you free of something. Maybe, he, maybe the whole confession thing, you're like, I need to confess something, I need to receive some freedom. Maybe, I need, maybe he's highlighting some things you need to turn away from so you can experience Freedom. Maybe he's calling you to acts of generosity, not just with your money, but with all of who you are. Like, maybe he's trying to father you. I cannot encourage you enough. Go receive prayer. You can do that at any time. You don't have to wait for, like, uh, me to come up and go anytime. The next 15 minutes, is a, it's kind of open, okay? You can respond in the ways that the Spirit would be leading you to respond. Praise, receiving prayer, engaging with God for his goodness. That's what we're going to do, okay? And then Eric's going to come up and pastor us and close us. I love you guys. Enjoy him.
0: Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, you sent your son, and that he revealed your mercy. He embodied it, and he sacrificed himself for us. And I pray that this morning, that, that we would ascribe ultimate worth to him, that we would learn to do that together as brothers and sisters, as part of your family recognizing the things that get in the way and leaving nothing, no obstacle, like nothing that, that would get in our way unaddressed so that we can experience the freedom of, of life with Jesus today and into eternity. God, we love you and we thank you. That In the name we pray, amen. I'm gonna close this out. You guys can grab a seat. This is one of those messages. Loads of notes. Maybe maybe you're like that. Now imagine trying to distill it down to one thing. Here we go. You can't receive the crown of righteousness without receiving the crown of thorns. You cannot receive the crown of righteousness at the end of your life without receiving the crown of thorns today. Okay, we're done. Just kidding. Lisa, would you come up here? Is Lisa in the room? She's praying outside. Okay. Classic. Servant. Lisa, uh, she shared stuff with me, and I wrote it down. Maybe I had a premonition that she would be out there praying. Uh, she, Lisa, If you don't know who Lisa is, she helps to oversee our prayer team alongside Heidi. And uh, she came up. They were praying earlier today, and she came up and shared some things with me that she sensed were um, maybe on the Father's Heart for our church community. She mentioned four things. And the big idea was, think of it this way, almost like God's already spoken about these things, it's just time to kind of listen. Like a child who's heard their father about something. But if you know children, if you have children, if you remember what it was like being a child, the gap between when something is said and when something actually takes place can be golf. But what we want, ultimately, is for our kids to be responsive. Why? Not to control them. Hopefully, it's not to control them. That's something to repent of. But actually, so that they might walk into maturity under our nurture and care, so they might become mature. So these are things that she sensed that God has already spoken to people in our church about, and it's just time to listen. And I'm not talking about just listening one ear out the other. I'm talking about biblical listening, which is the equivalent of obeying. She said four things she believes there are people in this room, potentially, I'm not sure how many, there might be people in this room who God has spoken to you about where you live and has talked to you about that and has maybe revealed, like, what's next, the next step. Tom talked about the next step a lot. So, so think next steps that God's already revealed to you. It could be about where you live and that it might be time to, like, to listen to what he said about that. Um, she had a sense that there's people that, might, that God might have spoken to you about your vocation that it's time to make a change in your vocation, specifically, that he's already spoken about it, it's time to listen. She got a sense that there's people in the room who God has spoken to you about your discipline, the discipline in your life. She got it specifically like the discipline of the word. It's like when you wait, the first thing you wake up to in the morning is the word, not the gram type of thing. It's like the discipline of the word, first thing in the morning. He's already spoken, it's time to listen. She got a picture of someone asking someone to coffee, which I love. We're, we love coffee in this church. Um, and, and she's got a sense that it was that God has spoken to you about relationships that he wants you to pursue. He's already spoken about it. It's sort of like, can we go get coffee to talk about some things? He's already spoken about it. It's time to listen and to obey. You cannot receive the crown of righteousness. That's what Paul talks about at the end of his life. If you were here when Tom preached about that, he talked about how Paul mentioned, I have finished the race. The Apostle Paul went through suffering unlike anyone that I know of besides Jesus. He went through insane suffering and he finished. He held the faith. He held onto the faith. He finished his race. And then he said, afterwards, I'm going to receive the crown. I don't know if you, know, you guys noticed, we were singing about the crown Terrific TV show, I'm not thinking about that, but like the crown that we will receive at the end of our lives. You cannot receive that crown of righteousness unless you receive a crown of thorns first. When I say that, what I mean is the crown of thorns that Jesus received, which meant rejection, ridicule, risk, We won't, we, won't, we won't endure to the end unless we receive the suffering that God has for us. So here's my question to you. What is God calling you to do next in light of this message? It may involve pain because sometimes grace hurts. There may be a conversation. Is there something that, that you know he's spoken to you about that you have left unattended? That might be your next step this morning. I'm gonna close this out really quickly and pray. Uh, but if anything jumped out to you this morning, anything at all, I want to invite you to go get prayer. We saw people available to pray. And then um, if you have kids in kids' ministry, we just ask that you go grab them to relieve the workers. Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus embraced the crown of thorns first. And that what you're inviting us into is just what Jesus has already done for us. You are inviting us to be, become like him who for the joys that before him endured the cross. I wish we had a cross like, that we could just leave here, that we could all just look at it and ponder the reality of what he sacrificed for us so that we might actually reflect what he's worth to the world, what he means to us and what he might mean to others. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We're grateful to you. And we pray that you would reveal that next step to each of us. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so go grab your kids. If, um, if you've got kids in kids ministry, if you want to go get prayer, that's available to you. Hope you guys enjoy your Sunday.